Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the 29th chapter. And we study down to the 15th verse. Does anyone not have a Bible? If you don't have, slip your hand up and we'll see if somebody gets you one. Isaiah 29, verse 15, and that's where we left off. We studied the 15th verse, but let me just mention it again to get the connection. Because from verse 15 through the rest of the chapter, verse 24, we have the Lord appeals to Jerusalem. The first part was the Lord warns Jerusalem. The first part of this 29th chapter. And then he begins... With verse 15 says, Woe to them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? You know, they thought that the Lord would not hold them accountable. They thought that the Lord did not see. And there was a secret plan of the Judeans to, to seek help from Egypt. They were going to, instead of going to God for help, they were going to to Egypt for help. Egypt is a type of picture of the world. And that's like you and I would say, well, I'm not going to seek my help from God, but I'm going to go out here and I'm going to solicit my help from this one and that one and the other one in the world, in the secular world, in the social world, and not seek our help from God. But now God may use others to help us, but He also He also oversees uh, the way that we seek our help in the sense that if we go to Him, He's going to make it possible that the help comes from the right direction. This uh, woe, it says woe unto them, this woe exposed the devious political tactics of the rulers of, of Judah in uh, thinking they could hide their counsel that they had already made up their minds to seek help from, from Egypt thinking they could hide it from God. By the way, we don't hide anything from God. We may hide stuff from one another, husband and wife, children, father and mother, family, friends even, even the church, but we don't hide anything from God. He knows. The Bible says, eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. It says, there is no darkness, no shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves says, the eyes of the Lord upon the ways of man, beholding the evil and the good. So there's several passages of Scripture to show us that. But verse 16 now says, Surely your turning of the things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Look at this. Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had, had no understanding? Judah's secret mission, acting without divine counsel and divine approval, divine direction, reversed the proper order. Look what it says. Reversed, and it's like the clay saying to the potter. Did you ever see the clay speak out to the one that is forming? In other words, that's a reversal. Turning things upside down. Shall be esteemed as the potter's clay, for shall the work, that is the clay, Say of him that made it, he he made me not. So it 
it reverses the proper order of things and it's like the clay giving orders to the potter. Now the potter has the clay under his control. The clay has no say as to how the potter works. And that's what they were doing. And they were failing to seek counsel from God and instead of depending on God, they were depending on their own wisdom and the fragile promises of men. Once you notice verse 17, it says, It is not yet a very little while, is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and and uh, the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? Let's read on down several verses to verse 24. It says, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the, of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity, And out of darkness, the meek, here's the humble, the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor man among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. That is, materially speaking, he's poor. And verse 20, For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name, and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred, that erred in, the, in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine." In these verses, 17 through 24, Isaiah is asking the people to look ahead and consider what God planned for them. By the way, in the Old Testament, He planned many things for them during their Assyrian invasions. But this looks forward even to the future of what God will do for His people in the future time as well when they're in trouble, much as they were then. And in their political strategy, we just have said that they had turned things upside down, but God would one day turn everything around by establishing His kingdom on earth. And we're looking to the future. This devastated land would become a paradise. Look at verse uh, 17. Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field. The devastated land will become a paradise. We read of where the, the deaf would hear... The meek would have joy. The poor would rejoice. The scorner would be consumed. So all these things will happen. The disabled will be healed. The outcast will be enriched and rejoice. And there will be no more the scoffers and ruthless people practicing all the injustice in the courts. He says in the gate. Notice that. Lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate. That's verse 21. Turn aside the just for a thing of naught. All of this injustice would come to an end. And the founders of the nation, Abraham and Jacob, would see their many descendants all glorying in the Lord. And there's going to be a time through all the uh, turmoil that will take place during the tribulation period that God is going to reverse all of this and make His land a fruitful land and the deaf are going to hear and the uh, 
terrible one is brought to naught and the scorner is going to be consumed and he's going to set things right. The things that they had turned upside down, God's going to set right. The things that Israel would turn upside down during the tribulation period and go after the wrong leadership, and we know the Antichrist will appear on the scene and a lot of terrible things will happen during the great tribulation, God is going to see them through and He's going to make things right and lead them into the millennium. So in light of this glorious future, why should Judah turn to the feeble nations like Egypt for help? They in that day, in the Isaiah's day, turned to, to Egypt for help. In the future, during the Great Tribulation, they will turn to other nations for help. But their real help is from God. What they did then, what they will do in the future, should be a lesson to you and I as Christians when we're in trouble and in need, what? Who to turn to? Turn to God for help. Turn to the Lord for help instead of man. And sometimes we turn to man and put more dependence upon man than we do upon God. And if we put our trust in God, He's going to work out all things for, for His glory, first of all, and for our good. I like those two things. A lot of times we want our good first and then His glory, but it's for His glory and our good. And that's the way it should be. And God is on their side. And God will be on our side. They trusted, they could trust Him and we can trust Him. You know, there's the history of Abraham and of Egypt, I mean of various ones of the leaders, Isaac and Jacob. The history of those leaders and patriarchs of the Old Testament was that they had go the wrong direction for help. Remember, God called Abraham out of or the Chaldees out of idolatry. And the first thing you know, when trouble came and there was a famine in the land, he looked to Egypt. And he journeyed toward the south and he ended up in Egypt. But then shortly, it says, Abraham came up out of Egypt. I like that because he didn't stay there. And Abraham went to Egypt for help and he got into trouble. Is that a lesson? You and I go to Egypt for help or the world for help and we get into trouble. Isaac, he started for Egypt, but he was stopped short. The Lord stopped him short before he got into the same trouble. He had much of the same thing that the Father had passed on him. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And then Jacob, we know, (laughs) he had problems too. But God cared for Jacob during all of his years of trial. And surely it says here that he will take care of his children. Look at verse 23. But when he seeth his children... The work of mine hands in the midst of them. They shall, they shall sanctify my name. That means they'll set God a, apart and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. And so they would finally come to that conclusion that's what they need to do. And you know, it's a very tragic thing when a nation forgets its spiritual heritage. We've just about forgotten it in our nation. And turns from trusting the Lord to trusting the plans and promises of men. Remember... Uh, I don't know if it's last Sunday or the Sunday before when I mentioned, uh, I think it's the Sunday before, but when I preached on the, the great emancipator and how that we read concerning all of the ones that had signed the Declaration of Independence and what they suffered and how they paid for the liberties that we enjoy today, most people don't know that all these things happened to them. And we gave you a list of things that happened to many of them. And... Uh, 
we know that our founding fathers intended for our nation to be a godly nation. In fact, at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in 1787, Benjamin Franklin said this, I have lived, sir, a long time. And longer and the longer that I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth. What is it? That God governs in the affairs of men. And then he said, I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning. That's what Ben Franklin wanted to happen in, in the assemblies of our Congress. And that was at a constitutional convention in Philadelphia. And our, our forefathers believed in turning to God in prayer for help. And I wish we could get some of that back into our system this day and hour, and then we would find a little more peaceful and and better resolutions to some of the problems that our nation has. But unfortunately, we don't have that kind of leadership. Now then, I want us to look at the 31st chapter. And uh, here in the 31st, no, oh, the 30th chapter, I beg your pardon. In the 30th chapter, we find that the Lord rebukes Jerusalem. And there's 33 verses in this chapter. The Lord rebukes Jerusalem. And if you'll notice verse 1, He says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord. Woe to the, woe to the rebellious children that take counsel, but not of Me. They take counsel, but whose counsel? But not of me. And that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Now this fourth woe, this rebuke in this 30th chapter, begins with God's rebuke of the nation's rebellion. He says, a rebellious children. And in fact, Isaiah opens his prophecy with this same accusation. And by the way, he ends it on the same note. Isaiah starts, look back in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, Hear, O heavens. Chapter 1 and verse 2, the very beginning of Isaiah's prophecy. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. He calls heaven and earth to witness. And he says, For for the Lord has spoken. I have nursed and brought up children. Now look. And they have rebelled against me. That's the beginning of Isaiah. Turn over to the 60. Fifth chapter, 65 and verse 2. And by the way, you're getting to the end of Isaiah. There's only, what, 66 chapters. So, 65 and verse 2. He says, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a what? A rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, and so on and so forth. So Isaiah starts the book with a rebellious people, and he ends the book with a rebellious people. In fact, uh, chapter 63, verse 10 says, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. So 63 and 65, if you have those two references. Chapter 65, verse 2. Chapter 63, probably right across the page, or page back in your Bible. But they rebelled, 63, verse 10. They rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. In other words, God had to chasten them because they were a rebellious people. 
it should teach you and I the same lesson that we should not be a rebellious people. And after all that He had done for His people, they turned away from Him and they sought the, the feeble help of Egypt. I mean, if you're going to seek help, seek someone that can help you. But they sought the feeble help of Egypt. And God had warned them time and again not to go to Egypt for help. Unlike the leaders of old, the rulers of Jerusalem did not seek the will of God. If you remember Moses, he sought to do the will of God. And Moses, look in Numbers, well you may not have time, but in Numbers 27 and verse 21, it says this. Speaking of Moses, he shall stand before Elise of the priest who shall ask counsel for him. They ask counsel. It says, at his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in. At God's word. Both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. It says in verse 22, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him. You see, we had, uh, they had leaders of old that sought counsel from God. In the book of uh, Joshua chapter 9 and verse 14, it shows how that some of them did not seek counsel. The men took the, of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 7 and 8. Let me read this for you. It says this. <clears throat> well, let's read verse 6 and 6 through 8. It says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because uh, the soul of all the people was grieved. Now they said, We're going to stone David. And it says, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David, look, encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's the first thing. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? And he went ahead and and he inquired of the Lord before he made a move. We find that there were men before uh, Isaiah, some of the patriarchs of the Old Testament, that sought God's counsel. And then we find Jehoshaphat. Look in the book of 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 7 and 8. Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, and old Ahab, he says to Jehoshaphat, See, Jehoshaphat wanted to, to inquire from a prophet of the Lord. But old Ahab, he knew a prophet all right, but he didn't want to hear what he had to say. It says in verse 8, And king of Israel, that's Ahab, said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. <laughs> but look at this. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me. He doesn't prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And then they sought out Micaiah, and they got counsel from Micaiah, even though King Ahab, he said, Well, you know, the only thing I've got against him, he's going to tell the truth, and I don't like it. He's just going to tell me really what God thinks, and I don't like it because he's, he's getting on my case. Some people want that. They'd rather we prophesy. He says, I wish he would prophesy to me smooth things, things that are pleasing to my ears, things that I love to hear. You know, there's a lot of folks like that. 
Paul told Timothy, he says, the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. Listen. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You see, that's what a lot of people want today. Tell them some fairy tale. Tell them something they don't want. Uh, they don't want to hear the, the truth. There are many people that just don't want to hear it if you get on their sins, on their case. But God gets on our case, doesn't He? He tells us the truth. And we need to accept God's Word. So these people were rebellious people. Back in our text, look in Isaiah 30. It says, verse 1, look at verse 1 again. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth. Instead of looking to God, they were going down to Egypt. Egypt, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. We've already said if you're going to trust in some strength, get the right strength. Isaiah uttered this oracle, burden, concerning these people, and they were looking in the wrong direction for their help. Let's read on down a few verses. Notice it says in verse 3, Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, Pharaoh of Egypt. The strength you're depending on shall be what? Your shame. And the trust in the shadow of Egypt, your confusion. By the way, let's just stop a moment and say this. It's the same, the practical application of what happened to Israel in them seeking a refuge in Egypt and turning to the wrong ones, ones for help and turning to man for help. We can take that same thing that they did and give an application to ourselves today. No problem. Because we, if when we fail to trust in God and we start putting our trust in man, we start turning to the world and say, well, I've got it made out here. You may have it made out there in a 100% way. But if you don't have it made with God, you're the loser. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? So get on the right side. Get on the right side. It says, And the trust in the shadow of Egypt, your confusion. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be a help, nor profit, but but a shame, and also a reproach. This is how it would be. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish from whence they come, whence come the young and old lion, the viper and the fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of the young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. You see, you could have everything loaded and going in the wrong direction and end up to a people that shall not profit them. Now verse 7, For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Have you ever seen people say, I've come to a dead end? Maybe sometimes that's true. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. Our strength today is to sit still in humble dependence upon God and His goodness and in quiet submission to His will. And we'll find that things will work out. Work out good for us. 
Beginning with verse 8 through 11. Here's another little section we can take. It says, Now go, write it before them in a table, and note, note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and forever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say of the seers, to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. It's bad enough that Judah would rebel against God by trusting in Egypt instead of trusting in Jehovah, and depending on money instead of on God's power. But they even went so far as to completely reject the Word of God. And God said, you write it down. Make it, uh, make a note of it. Make, write it before them in a table. Make a placard in verse 8. And note it in a book that it may be for the time to come. And what is it? That this is a rebellious people. Verse 9. So God told Isaiah to make a placard that said, This is a rebellious people with lying children and children who will not hear the law of the Lord. And he carried this sign as he walked around Jerusalem. And no doubt most of the people laughed at him. The leaders did not want to hear God's truth. They wanted pleasant words from the false prophets. They wanted sermons that would not disturb their comfortable way of life. And is the situation any different today? I ask you the question, is the situation any different today? If a preacher gets up and preaches against sin and he preaches against what's wrong in this world, there are some godly people that want to hear it and will be blessed by it and will, uh, will say amen and stick with you. But there's a lot of people that walk out and they say, you know, that's a hard preaching down there. I don't like that very much. I don't know why he doesn't uh, speak on something that's real comforting. Sermons that would not disturb their comfortable way of life. That's what people want today. But decisions have consequences. Look at verse, beginning with verse uh, 12 through 14. Here's the, here's the consequences of their decisions. It says, Wherefore, verse 12, Thus saith the, Lord, uh, saith the Holy One of Israel, Because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay therein, you just take your stand in that. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant, and he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessels that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, spare so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a sherd to take uh, fire from the hearth, or to take water with all with all out of the pit. In other words, they would be so broken, there wouldn't be a little, a large enough piece of that pottery to take fire out of the heart, to take the fire out, or to, to contain any water. That's how God would break them for that. And God did this for them too. And we could go back to the invasion. Isaiah told the people what would happen to Judah and Jerusalem because they were trusting in their lies. And their wall of protection would suddenly collapse and it would be shattered to pieces like a clay vessel. And when the Assyrian invaded the land, Egypt lived up to her nickname and did nothing. 
as God had said she would do nothing. It was not till the last minute that God stepped in and rescued his people. And he did it only because of a covenant he had made with David. If you read chapter 37, verses 35 and 36, he remembered his covenant. Let's turn to 37 and see what God did when the invasion came. Verses 35 and 36. He says, For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God says, you know, in spite of the wickedness and rebelliousness of his children, in spite of the fact that God permitted and even used the Assyrian to come in and to do what he did in the way of chastening his people, he said, I'm still going to defend it, not only for my sake, but because I've made a covenant with David for my servant David's sake. Well, I like that. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the smote in the camp of the Assyrians and a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when they arose in, in early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. So God finally took a strong hand against Israel's enemies. For his own sake, and what? And for my servant David's sake. I like that, for sake. The Bible says that the Lord will not so forsake his people. I believe it's First Samuel, maybe 20, verse 22. You might check it out. It's been a long time. But he says, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, for it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. And he will not do it for his great namesake. Well, if that is true for Israel of old, what consolation do you and I have? The Lord will not forsake you and I for, for Jesus' sake, for his great namesake. And you read in the New Testament, in the book of 1 John especially, your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, because of Christ's name. And you're, not only are your sins forgiven you, but your security, your security as a Christian rests in the fact that God has made a promise that we're His and He's going to keep us, not because we're good, but because He's good and because He's made a covenant with us through His Son. And He made the covenant. You know, someone that says, well, I have a covenant with God. You don't have a covenant with God. God has a covenant with you comes from Him. It doesn't come from you. Someone says, well, if I'll keep this and I'll do this and I'll do thus and so, well, God will. God says, I'm going to do this, whatever you do. But He says, it's be better if you do what I want you to do. See, God God made a covenant with Noah. What happened to old Noah? Remember? God said, Noah, I'm not going to flood the earth anymore. I'm going to protect you. Everything's going to be all right. And he says, I'm going to put my bow in, I'm going to put my bow in the clouds. I'm going to make my covenant with you and with all the earth. And it's a co- it was a covenant of grace with Noah, wasn't it? And so Noah goes out and he plants a vineyard and he makes wine and he gets drunk. And he brings a lot of trouble into his house because of it. But what? God kept his covenant. Noah had to suffer the consequences of all that, and his descendants had to suffer the consequences of his sin and his sons, and so on and so forth. We could go into detail about that. It's not necessary at this point. But the the thing about it is, regardless of what we do, God made the covenant. 
And God made a covenant with us through Christ's shed blood on the cross. I believe in security because it doesn't, our security doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. So, where was I? Chapter 30 and verse 14. So, he's going to break it with a, break them as with a potter's vessel, and there's not going to be notice. In verse 14, he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. And it says, He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a sure, that's a, a potsherd, is a broken piece of pottery, to take fire from the hearth, or to take water withal out of the pit. In other words, there will be so small pieces and so great a breaking that there won't be one large enough of that pot to, to get a little bit of water in, or even to reach in and take the fire out of the heart, clean out the heart with the ashes or fire. So God does a thorough job, doesn't He? And during the Assyrian invasion of Judah, the Jews were not able to flee on their horses that they had imported from Egypt. Verse 16 and 17 tells us that. Let's go and read verse 15 through 17. We'll hurry along. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And you would not. But you said, No, for we will flee upon horses. They said, No, our confidence will not be in God, but we're going to flee from the, the Assyrian upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee, and we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, and the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, and as ensign on a hill. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. So what is he going to do? He's, he's going to let people run to the end of their ropes. They're going to, they, instead of fleeing to God, they'd flee upon horses. they say, we get out of the way of the enemy. The Assyrian would invade and take over. But they're still not going to trust in God. God's just going to wait till they run their course. And then he says, then God's going to be gracious to you. Sometimes, why is it do we have, that we have to run our course in the wrong direction before we'll let God be gracious to us? We, we just go too far, don't we? We don't have to go that far. We could turn and serve God right now, day in, day out. Pray for my message Sunday. I was thinking about it right now. But anyway, that we serve God now. We don't have to wait. Our time is getting away and we won't have time to finish. In fact, it's after time. Let's pick up with that uh, uh, 18th verse because it's a whole other section. And there's a lot to uh, deal with in this chapter as well as in the 31st chapter. And I know we won't have time to go into it like I'd like to, so we'll pick up there, the Lord willing. And in our next lesson, we'll try to get some more, more thoughts concerning this.